Luke chapter 4, verses 13 through 35. Now that same day, two of them were on their way to a village called Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. Together, they were discussing everything that had taken place. And while they were discussing and arguing, Jesus himself came near and began to walk along with them, but they were prevented from recognizing him. Then he asked them, what is this dispute that you're having with each other as you are walking? And they stopped walking and looked discouraged. The one named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that happened there in these days? What things, he asked them. So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, powerful in action and speech, before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we were hoping that he was the one who was about to redeem Israel. Besides all this, it's the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women from our group astounded us. They arrived early at the tomb, and when they didn't find his body, they came and reported that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they didn't see him. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. They came near the village where they were going, and he gave the impression that he was going farther. But they urged him, stay with us, because it's almost evening, and now the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. It was as he reclined at the table with them that he took the bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, but he disappeared from their sight. They said to each other, weren't our hearts burning within us while he was talking with us on the road and explaining the scriptures to us? That very hour, they got up and returned to Jerusalem. They found the 11 and those with them gathered together who said, the Lord has truly been raised and has appeared to Simon. Then they began to describe what had happened on the road and how he was made known to them in the breaking of the bread. So that is like every time uh, I've ever taught has been here. So it hasn't been a lot. And you've probably seen them all. And uh, one, sorry. Two, that is the by far the longest piece of scripture I've ever chosen. And so, man, thank you, Cami, for doing such a beautiful job. Although I loved, I think you said Cleopas. And honestly, I didn't even look up how the name is said, so I'm going to say it differently. But Cammy's probably got it right. <clears throat> um, but the good news there is that this should be my shortest message ever. I recognize that it's New Year's Eve, so let's pray. Our Father and our God, 
we ask you to help us today, Lord. We're limited in our understanding and often feeble in our faith. We ask and thank you for the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth, that he would help us see and understand the meaning of the text we're discussing today. We ask that it would guide us into a new year and prepare us for our daily struggles and beyond. And of course, we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So it's New Year's Eve, um, and I'm really glad you're here. I thought it might be just Linda and I. Um, So this is pretty exciting. Um, I remember as a little boy daydreaming about New Year's Eve in the year 2000. I feel like Prince wrote a song about this, and his vision was way different than mine. Um, The science fiction experts back in the day, the Jetsons, told us that by now we'd all have flying cars, and we'd live in these cities up in the sky, and we'd have these telephones that weren't connected to the wall. And, well, I guess we'll have to settle for one out of the three. Um, But, like, one of the things I really love is, I'm assuming most of you have seen the movie Blade Runner. Blade Runner took place in 2019. And when it was made, when it was out in the theaters, 1982, people looked at 2019 and said, that's about right. So we're, we're way ahead of that. We're doing way, way better. Um, but it's funny, my, my most vivid memory about the year 2000 was as a little boy that I would be 35 years old, and that would be so old. <clears throat> and so I'm, I'm sure Lee, we were talking about math earlier, I'm sure he's already calculated how old I am. Um, And the new year, you know, we treat it to something special. I mean, most of us are going to stay up late tonight. We're going to watch some disco ball on the East Coast descend at exactly midnight, and then we'll celebrate by making noise. Some of us us will be fortunate enough to share a kiss with somebody. Um, And then if you have kids, you all, I mean, let's be real, we'll be in bed by 12.03. And uh, Linda and I will be in bed by 9.03 tonight. But that's that's a whole other story. And one of the funny things for me about New Year's is I'm not a New Year's resolution guy. But tomorrow, you know, we all look at it as a new start. It's, it's the day that we're going to make a change. Usually it has something to do with diet or workout. And trust me, I recognize that I could use both of those things. So I'm just curious, by show of hands, who, who here has a New Year's resolution that they're working towards? And don't be shy. It's not it's, it's like, uh, okay, yeah, all right. Um, so, like New Year's resolutions, I'm not for it, I'm not against it, that's, that's not the point of this. I'm just, just kind of curious. Um, but I, I am kind of curious, like, why we do that. I mean, if we know something is good for us, or something will make us healthier or better, you know, I, I love that, well, you know, i got a New Year's resolution in three days, so let's just pork out at the all-you-can-eat buffet and get ready for it, right? And, and like... Again, I'm not a New Year's resolution guy, but I am a pork out at the all-you-can-eat buffet guy. So no judgment here. Um, but honestly, that's, that's probably okay for things like diet and working out. Because, um, you know, we all know that if you have a partner to work out, you're going to work out more often. So New Year's resolutions are often a device that help us be more responsible, more likely to succeed in whatever our endeavor is. Um, you know, it's, it's just a little, it's a help. But Mark touched on it a, a minute ago uh, when he talked about God pursuing us. Those aren't the words he used, but that's what he said. And so I just want to point out that faith should never 
you know, a device should never be used for faith in that way. Like faith is a constant. God pursues us and we need to make ourselves available to him as much as possible. And so <clears throat> I'm not a guy who typically says God gave me a word. Uh, I, know, I know a number of people like that. My, Linda is, is one of those people and I think it's amazing and beautiful. But that's just not typically me. Um, but the way this simple story, the one that Cami read, has it's been pressing into my heart for months. And there's a, a few of you out there that I've exposed that to, so ho- hopefully you, you know this to be truth. And then I've told a number of you that I'm like I have a lot of faults, and we can sit down privately and talk about them. This doesn't seem like the place. Um, but one of them is I'm not a procrastinator. When I get an assignment, man, I'm on it. And so I, like, I need you to know I wrote this entire sermon, finished it on December 21st, 10 days ago. Now, that's a weird thing to come up here and say, but, but I just wanted to give a perspective thing just in case. And I'll also tell you that I labor mightily on some of the stuff I, I, I write for this arena, and this one was not a labor at all. This one, so when I say like I felt God gave me scripture and he gave me a word and he gave me and he gave me, I I feel like there are just too many beautiful things in this for me to do anything but give God all the credit and glory for this. Now that doesn't mean my message is going to be great. That means, you know, there's a human component here and I'm doing my best to understand his scripture. I just wanted to come out and, well, I hope you understand. So back to our scripture. Maybe it's because these two followers of Jesus, Cleopas or Cleopas, maybe it's because these two followers thought that they had something good, that it it was taken from them. They became heartbroken. And when it didn't turn out the way they thought, but then they found it again at the end of the story. So maybe, maybe that's what God wanted me to see. Or maybe he wanted me to see that these two people Maybe they never had it. Maybe they thought they had a message. Maybe they thought they knew who the Messiah was, but maybe they they had missed it. They'd missed the forest for the trees. And so I've had some times in my life, and maybe this resonates, but have you ever thought that you were on the right path only to be kicked off of it? Only to find out that you had something that you, you felt was truth, you felt was honest, you felt was right, and you discovered, I had it all wrong. And if that happened to you, did it, did it shake you? Did it make you reevaluate some of the things you thought you knew? And those are some of the things I want to talk about today. Because that's, that's, that's been happening to me. So verse 13 says, Now that same day, two of them were on their way to a village called Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. Together they were discussing everything that had taken place. You see, these two people, they'd been in Jerusalem, obviously, for Passover, and were walking back to their village, a place called Emmaus. Now, side note, in this country, we we typically say Emmaus. When Linda and I went to Israel a few years ago, that's not how they pronounce it there. They actually, they giggle and mock us a little bit. They pronounce it Emmaus. And it's a tiny little village. We went to a French Catholic church there, spent some time, very interesting. They have uh, somebody from that church praying 24 hours a day for Jesus to reappear to them. So when I previewed this with Linda, she said if I said a mouse, it was too distracting. So we're going with Emmaus, so I don't distract you. 
But anyway, Scripture tells us it's a seven-mile journey, which means that it would take the typical person one and a half, maybe two hours to walk that far. And that's not even far by today's standards, and by first century standards, it's actually really close. And together, these two people, they're talking about what had just happened. And of course, what has happened is the crucifixion and death of Jesus. Verse 15 and 16 say, And while they were discussing and arguing, Jesus himself came near and began to walk along with them, but they were prevented from recognizing him. So discussing and arguing, imagine what that might have sounded like. Man, I was sure he was the one. Didn't he, didn't he tell us he was the one? I thought so. I mean, maybe that's not what he said. Maybe we misunderstood. I'm so confused right now. Man, you're confused. I'm confused. This just doesn't seem right. We've been through so much. How could, how could you lead me this way? Or how could you let me go this way? Right? They're arguing. And then along comes a guy, and the story tells us it's Jesus himself. The literal guy, the same guy they're arguing about. But the text says they're prevented from recognizing him. And so my my first point today is that Jesus is there even when you can't see him. Jesus is there even when you're not looking for him. And the last part of that piece of scripture says that they were prevented from recognizing him. Now, it could mean that God intentionally blinded them. I mean, God has done that elsewhere in Scripture. It could also mean, though, that they didn't recognize him because of something in their own hearts. You see, I I think God prevented them from recognizing Jesus in that moment. And this this might be a silly example, and I don't mean to be trite about this, but I'm sure there's, there's more than one wife in here who's been exasperated when their husband confidently says, I looked and it's not there. And she marches over and she goes right to the car keys. Or she opens the fridge and pulls out the sour cream. You see, sometimes a thing can be right in front of us. And because of a disposition, we just don't see it. Verse 17 says, Then he asked them, What is this dispute that you're having with each other as you're walking? And they stopped walking and looked discouraged. Now there's two interesting things there in verse 17, at least interesting to me. Imagine you and a buddy, you and your wife, you and whoever are walking down a road and you see a stranger and that stranger gets closer and closer. For a lot of people, that might make you a little uncomfortable, right? Especially if they're sort of leaning in and, and you know, not doing the Orange County head nod and walk by. And suddenly the stranger <clears throat> says, what are you guys arguing about? That for me, at least, that would be a little disorienting. And I, like, I don't know, I might say, uh, hey, man, thanks for your concern. We're good. We're just having a little private conversation. Would you, would you mind if, like, appreciate it, right? I wouldn't want to be rude, but that would be awkward for me. But Jesus, he wants to be known. He demands to be known in the system. And he says, why are you arguing? He bores in on them. And then the second thing that this verse shows is, is that it shows Cleopas's unbelief. You see, when, when it says that they look discouraged, it shows, it proves that, that their sadness, or they're sad because they have unbelieving hearts. 
because Jesus had told them that death would not be the end. It's all over Scripture. However, Cleopas is clearly under the impression that because Jesus is gone, because he's dead, it's over. They've left, right? They've departed the scene. They're going home. We had it all wrong. We're done. You know, the the interesting thing is, I think a fair conclusion to draw there is that Cleopas thought Jesus was going to be a warrior and he was going to overcome the Romans. And by thinking he knew, had all the answers, what really happened is he was blinded from seeing the real purpose of Jesus. And then 18 says, the one named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that happened here, happened there in these days? And Jesus says, what things? Right? I mean, when you read it, at least when I read it, like I normally read a little too quickly, I just go right through this. But when I slow down and look at it, like that's mind-blowing to me that Jesus injects himself in an argument And then they embrace him in a way that is like, are you the only guy that doesn't know? And Jesus says, what are you talking about? What things? So Linda and I have been there. Emmaus is a small town. Um, These two people are probably heading to it because it's their home. And so Dr. Luke here, Luke is the guy who wrote this. Dr. Luke gives us the name of one of them. And this is a typical device in Scripture. He gives us this name so we can confirm the truth of it. Or maybe not us, but people back then. You see, Scripture is amazing in that it says, if you doubt me, go to the original source and look it up for yourself. Right? So we know about the guy who helped Jesus carry the cross. They gave us, the author gave us the name so we could go and like, hey, did you carry the cross? We know about Cleopas, so people back then could go to Emmaus, Emmaus, sorry, and say, hey man, did this really happen? Like I would point out, there are a lot of common names in the Bible. Common names are Mary, James, there's a lot of them. There's a bunch of Josephs. Um, There's not a lot of Cleopases. And I'm willing to put a a couple of bucks on the fact that there's not a single Cleopas here in Rancho Santa Margarita. Right? And if there was, he'd be pretty easy to find because he'd be the only Cleopas. And so since this Cleopas is long gone, he's long deceased, it's the other disciple that I'm interested in for the purposes of this. You see, some people think that the other disciple is Cleopas's wife. The evidence would be as a woman, she's oftentimes unnamed in Scripture. Um, that was a good laugh. They, they also, later in the story, try to convince this unknown traveler to come to their house. They want him to stay and break bread and spend the night. So there's, there's little things that might lead us to that conclusion, but... I don't know, and I don't know that anybody will ever know. Not in this context here. But Scripture often does something amazing in that when it tells a story, like, for instance, I can be reading a piece of Scripture, and as I'm reading along, I'm, 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 
I'm like, I'm judging what I'm reading about, right? Think the prodigal son or think some of these other things. Like, I'm, I'm like, I can't believe anybody would, would do that. And then scripture does this amazing thing at the end of the story, and it typically has this twist where all of a sudden I go, oh, I've done that. That's me, right? So I'd like you to imagine yourself as Cleopas's companion, the disciple here in this. Like, have you, have you ever, have you ever been bothered by a story only to see yourself in it as you reach the conclusion? And that's what scripture does a lot, especially in some of the parables. And so maybe Luke only gives us the one name because in God's wisdom, he wants us to put ourselves in the place of the other disciple as the story unfolds. I'm not like, like, that's not fact. I'm just saying, like, that's, that's something that could be. And maybe he wants us to see ourselves in a story like this, a story where we're convinced we had everything right, and then something happened, something unexpected that changed our view, challenged our belief, and honestly rocked us to our core. Verse 19 says, So they said to him, And this is in response to Jesus, like, what are you talking about? They said to him, the things concerning Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet, powerful in action and speech, before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him, but we were hoping that he was the one who was about to redeem Israel. Besides all this, it's the third day since things happened, since these things happened. And it's interesting here, I think there's a couple of clues here. One is, is they call Jesus the Nazarene a powerful prophet. And like, you guys know the answer to this. This is rhetorical, but was Jesus just a prophet? Like, I think, I think Jesus is the only per- person in Scripture who can be referred to as a prophet, a priest, and a king. He's all three. But they refer to him as just a prophet. And Cleopas and his companion, maybe it's me, maybe it's you, <clears throat> are eyewitnesses to this injustice of the whole spectacle of Jesus. Try to put yourself in that. They see him arrested. They see his death. And we can see their distress, Cleopas and his companions' distress, when they say, we were hoping he was the one. You see, they'd been waiting patiently, pregnantly, for the promised Messiah to avenge them. But there's an irony here. And the irony here is, This is occurring on the third day, the day that Jesus said, I will return. And they're talking to him themselves, and they don't realize it. I mean, man, like, if you don't think God's got a sense of humor, right? This is an amazing story. And so, so moreover, some women from our group astounded us. They arrived early at the tomb, and when they didn't find his body, they came and reported that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. But some of those who were with us, we went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see him. I don't know about you, but when I read this, I I think I can hear a little skepticism in there. And we have to remember, or we should remember, that a woman's testimony didn't have much value. It took two women to legally testify to something that only one man could testify to. So when Cleopas and his friends say that women said angels told them Jesus was alive, well, some men ran there to see for themselves, but they didn't see anything because the body was gone. 
And we know elsewhere in Scripture that those two men, those were Peter and John. And they were so mixed up in the message and so confused in what they had seen, but so excited at possibilities. They're, they're conflicted all over the place. And they actually have a foot race. And they, you know, I think it was Oscar that talked about this a few months ago. They actually have a foot race to see who gets there first. And then there's like bragging rights. And I don't think that's what Jesus intended. I don't think that's, that was his heart's desire, that, that, that they would race to him for the wrong reasons. And we know from elsewhere in Scripture that Peter and John... Oh, I'm sorry. I already went there. And so when, when, when Cleopas relays this story and says, but we, there was no body, I see doubt again. You see, they get their hopes up only to have them dashed. And again, it's like, have you ever thought you knew something really well only to find out about this twist? And the the easiest example that I came up with was The Sixth Sense, right? It's another movie I would assume we haven't seen it. If you haven't, man, spoiler alert. One, it's really good. And two, you're carried along this whole path. And in the last few minutes, the last minute maybe, the whole movie turns on its head. And all of a sudden you, you start like, you go backwards and you think, oh my goodness, that clue was right there all along. How did I miss it? Oh my Lanta, what in the world happened right here? So things like that, stories like that that have this big twist, they're they're disorienting for us, and it takes time to figure them out. And so if that's happened to you, take time. Take time to figure it out. Verse 25 and 27 say, He said to them, How unwise and slow you are to believe in your hearts all that the prophets have spoken. Didn't the Messiah have to suffer these things and enter into his glory? Now, this is Jesus telling them. It's like, come on, guys. Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he, Jesus, interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. So this translation says, How unwise. How unwise and slow. Other translations, Jesus says, how foolish. He calls them fools. And that doesn't mean they're not smart. It means they're foolish. And and, and what does Jesus point them to, to admonish them for their lack of faith? He points them to Scripture. It's like, it's right here. I gave you guys these books. I gave you guys these stories. I led you there. I showed you there. I made this available to you. How could you have missed it? Jesus, he, he checks their arrogance. And then, remember, this walk would take about an hour and a half. He starts at Moses. So it doesn't say where, but I'm going to go with, he starts at little baby Moses in the basket who gets dropped in the Nile. And he tells them and teaches them all the prophecies about himself, about Jesus through Scripture. Can you imagine what that lesson sounded like? I can guarantee you one thing. It's way better than this one. That had to be the most amazing sermon, the most amazing teaching, the most beautiful lesson ever because Jesus himself was teaching it to these people. They came near the village where they were going and he gave the impression that he was going farther. But they urged him, stay with us because it's, it's almost evening and now the day is almost over. So he, Jesus, went in to stay with them. It was as he reclined at the table with them that he took the bread, 
blessed and broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him, but he disappeared from their sight. So they said to each other, like imagine that, their eyes are opened and he disappears. They finally recognize him and they say, weren't our hearts ablaze within us while he was talking with us on the road and explaining the scriptures to us? So Cleopas and his wife, his buddy, me, you, they come to the village. They invite a stranger into their home for the night. He comes in, he blesses the bread, gives it to them, and suddenly they see who he is for the first time. And like this is symbolism, but this is really important. So Jesus in Luke 22, this is 24, two chapters earlier, he took bread, he broke it, and he said to his disciples, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me when he's talking about communion. This is the same Jesus who said in John, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. God provided manna from heaven for the Israelites as they wandered in the desert. And he provided Jesus as our ultimate manna today. He is the bread of life. And what Jesus is telling us is, I, Jesus, am essential. <clears throat> and it, like, it's mind-blowing to me that when, when Jesus tells them this, their eyes are opened, they see it, but he disappears right then and there. If Cleopas had recognized Jesus immediately, maybe his false understanding and misperceptions of who Jesus really was would have continued in his heart and his mind. But Jesus waited to reveal himself so that he could take the opportunity to correct the false beliefs the two of them had. And this enabled Cleopas to believe in Jesus for who he truly is, not how they perceive him. And so if you remember point one, he's here. He's among us, even if we don't recognize him. And point two is, Knowing Jesus is different than believing in him. Now that, that could be taken a little provocative, and I don't want anybody to like run out of here and go, well, knowing Jesus is different. It, it's, it's so much deeper and more important than that. You see, Jesus reveals himself to them, and they think back a few moments earlier when they were walking with him on that road, and they say, weren't our hearts ablaze within us? Well, he was talking with us on the road and explaining the scriptures to us. So when were their hearts ablaze? when they were with him, when they were in his presence, in his company. And what were they were doing? What were they doing? They were opening, listening to scripture. So their hearts were ablaze. That sounds a lot like prayer and Bible study to me. Those two things, they set their hearts ablaze. They later sit down for a meal. Jesus says a blessing, using the bread as a metaphor, and boom, he's revealed to them. You see, they needed the Holy Spirit to feel God's presence. Listen to his teachings, pray to have Jesus, the real Jesus, and he is revealed to them. 17th century mathematician and philosopher Blaise Pascal, he said a bunch of stuff, but he said this, human knowledge must be understood to be believed, but, but, but divine knowledge must be believed to under, be understood. 
Another way of saying that is just because you read the Bible doesn't mean you know it. Let me say that again. Just because you read it doesn't mean you know it. Reading's a great start. I want us all to be immersed in the Word, but it's just a start. In 1 Corinthians, Paul tells us, but the person without the Spirit does not receive what comes from God's Spirit because it's foolishness to him. He's unable to understand it since it is evaluated spiritually. So here's some examples. Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, he knew Jesus. He lived with him. He communed with him for three years. They were buddies, but he didn't believe. Many of the leaders of the different religious groups, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, Cleopas and his companion allude to them earlier. They knew Jesus. They saw him every day. They chased him around. They spied on him. They wanted to know what he was doing, but they didn't believe in him. And because they didn't believe, they couldn't understand. You see, the resurrected, glorified Christ wants to fellowship with those who are his own. But he only fellowships with those who believe in him. To have true fellowship means he, Jesus, is present. Flashback a moment. Remember when they're walking and arguing and I pointed out how strange a scene it was to be in an argument with your wife or a friend and have a total stranger eavesdrop and then butt in? I don't know what compelled them, but isn't it interesting maybe for them that this could have been a welcomed interruption? Maybe this argument was taking them to a place that was out of control or unkind or things were being said that shouldn't have been said. And maybe Jesus showed up at just the right time to maintain that relationship. It's speculation. We'll never know. But we do know that Jesus wants to be invited into whatever we're doing, especially when we have pain. Verse 33 and 35. That very hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem. They found the eleven... Remember, Judas Iscariot is now deceased. They found the eleven, and those with them gathered together who said, The Lord has certainly been raised and has appeared to Simon. Then they began to describe what had happened on the road and how he was made known to them in the breaking of bread. I would say they were a lot excited, not a little excited, at this encounter with the risen Christ. I would say they're so excited that they ran back to Jerusalem. And I'm talking about Cleopas and his companion. They ran back to Jerusalem, found the 11 disciples that we know so well, and said, you've got to hear what just happened to us. Which is interesting to me because an amazing, beautiful thing happened to them. And it shifted their perspective from, woe is me, we don't believe, to it's true, it's true. And so the third point, is that Jesus pushes us towards each other. He wants us to find him together. He wants us to be in community. Community is significantly important. Verse 34 ends telling us that the Lord has appeared to Simon. 
That's Simon Peter, right? The disciple who denied knowing Jesus three times before the rooster crowed. We've, I feel like we've, we've beat this one. We've talked about it a, a, a fair amount. But I, like it's, you can never point out too many times that Jesus cared so deeply that he had a special meeting with Peter to help restore him. Jesus sought out Peter and asked him if he loved him three times. One time for each of Peter's denials of Jesus. And after responding, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Be in community. Love them. Cherish them. Care for them. Feed my sheep. It's funny, in the, in the 21st century, um, we often say things like, man, I love Kobe or I love Will Ferrell, or I love Emma Stone, and I have no idea who your guys' Hollywood people are. I just chose some random people whose names came to my mind immediately, and no disrespect to any of them, but we don't really love them because we don't know them. All right, I, I know Linda. I love Linda. I love you. And it's because, yeah, I know some of you on a deep level, but more importantly, it's because I believe in you. Like, you know people. You believe people. And it's the belief that causes the love. So Jesus wants us to know him for certain. And so like an exclamation point, there's this guy who we know as the thief on the cross. He didn't know Jesus, right? We're not giving any backstory that he knows really much about Jesus. And yet he's hanging there and he's got this guy on the other side who's mocking Jesus. Hey, if you're the God that you think you are, save yourself. And this guy says, how dare you say this to him? And so he didn't know Jesus, but he believed in him. And Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. So it's, it's New Year's Eve. Got this silly ball that's going to fall out of the sky in New York. And we're all going to go, woo, and then we're going to bang pots and pans. Or I got some crazy hillbilly neighbors going to shoot a gun. I don't know. It's going to be crazy over in the Sites' neighborhood. And I hope that your most important resolution, the one that you, you actually don't stop after, I think the average is six weeks, everybody walks away from them. I hope the one that you cling to, the one that you hold on to for the rest of your life is to know Jesus better and believe in him. So I would, I would implore you based on this little story, do it with prayer. Talk to him. Do it with community. Do it with reading. And do it with enough meditation. Remember, prayer is a dialogue, not a monologue. Create space for Jesus, sorry, for Jesus to talk to you. Because the Holy Spirit 
loves you. Jesus loves you. God loves you. Thank you for listening to the King's Cross Church Podcast. We'd like to encourage listeners to be part of a local church gathering. If you're ever in the Orange County, California area, we'd love it if you'd come by and visit on a Sunday morning. For meeting times and locations or any other information about us, please visit kx.church. There's no .com in that, just kx.church. Thanks again for listening.